So we're focusing in, as opposed to doing the whole story of Esther in a pantomime fashion, we're focusing in on this particular chapter or so. And, and in particular, this verse that is incredibly familiar, I know. Um, and who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this is a very well-known phrase. In fact, I knew of one guy who, um, in, on the birth of his grandson, announced it by saying, he's been born for such a time as this. You talk about pressure from an early age, you know? It's a very familiar um, phrase, a very familiar verse. But this is a great story, isn't it? Why we read it out. It's got goodies and it's got baddies in it. It's got peril and plots. Have you, have you been to the cinema recently where at a PG and the kind of frame card at the beginning, it kind of warns, it says, beware, mild peril. Well, there's peril in this. It's an exciting story. There's glamour. There's romance. There's intrigue. There's comedy. And there's comeuppance. It's a cracking good story. But unfortunately, over the years, that has been dismissed by some people. It's been dismissed on particularly two grounds. One, there is no mention of God in it, apart from, as Lisa asserted last week, how some people suggest that you, know, you can see the letters of the word Yahweh in chapter 16, chapter 3, chapter 19, and chapter 25 on verse 4, if you stand on your tiptoes on one leg and hop around, and then you might see that God's... I mean, it's nonsense. There's, there's no mention of God in this passage. So some people have dismissed it. And others, because it's just a series of coincidences. Now, I just really love this story. As you know, I'm a bit of a history geek, so one of my favorite places on this planet is the British Museum. And one of my favorite rooms in the British Museum is the Persian room, uh, the Middle Eastern room. Because when I'm walking through it, I see things like this. This is one of the, the wall friezes um, that's painted on, that's been brought back from over there. And this is one of the gold torques that they brought. These are both from around the 5th, 4th century BC. These are from Persepolis. This is from the king's summer palace. This is, um, this, is, this is where Esther would have walked past. And so when I walk past these at the British Museum, I think I'm looking at something that Esther has looked at. She maybe didn't notice it. But that's, for me, that kind of makes it real. So it's not just a series of just random stories. But some people consider it so because there's lots of it just so happens in Esther. So much so that people have dismissed it. And if you're in doubt, here's a set, a few of them. It just so happened that they stayed in Persia, that they were in Susa at the time that Xerxes had a banquet, that he invited Vashti, she disobeyed and she got disthroned. Um, Esther was about the right age and she had the right looks. She went into the competition, she befriended one of the eunuchs and lo and behold, she was made queen. It's not, there's no residual pantomime going on, is there? Mordecai, it just so happened, discovered a plot as he was sitting by a gate. It just so happened that Haman was promoted and he had angst against Mordecai. It just so happened that Mordecai had access to Esther. And it just so happened that one night Xerxes couldn't sleep and he asked for a bedtime story. And it just so happened to be his diaries about Mordecai. And it just so happened that Esther had access to the king and the ways of the court so that she didn't rush in with her request, but that she kind of courted him a little bit, then gave him the thing. And there were loads, loads, more. It just so happened could appear loads in this story, couldn't it? And for that reason, lots of people dismissed it, saying it's clearly 
made up. And there's no mention of God. I think, I think both of those things are really significant in that they capture something of our world today. We are living in a post or even non-Christian society. We're in an alien exile place where when events happen, they are interpreted through a number of lenses. And one of the first lenses is this. If a series of events happen, it's just considered random. Random series of events, and the only reason they look like coincidences is because we are programmed as human beings to look for patterns. And so we see connectivity even when there isn't any there and there's no meaning. It's just random chance. Or maybe there's this other one, which is, which is fate. It was meant to be. It was written in the stars. It was always going to be a beautiful day on that wedding day because you're just beautiful people. It was meant to be. I've looked at my stars. We're meant to be together. Fit. A lot of people rely on that. We talk about the powers that be. Some people even refer to the gods crossing their fingers for luck. Or perhaps he's got the whole world in his hand. God-guided events. You see, how, because of this, Esther, the story in the book has been interpreted in one of three ways. It's been interpreted as a myth. It never happened. Someone had a crying baby one night and said, this will shut them up and told them a story. And someone said, that's a good one. Let's write it down. Let's make a festival out of it. Or someone, based on the fact that the Jews had this festival that they adopted from the Persians, let's stick a Jewish story around it. And so there's some historical, but let's make a story up around it so it's not true. Or it's history. From my view, I think there is enough historicity The, the referring, the historical record outside of the Bible and the archaeology all point to this story being an accurate account of events in 5th century BC Persia. But if that's the case, what have we got to do with all these coincidences? All these random connected events? Because without the mention of God, we're left to make up our own minds about it. Coincidence or God incidents? Now, if you've been at church any length of time and know this story, as soon as I mentioned the word coincidence, you're going to go, yeah, he's going to talk about God incidents as well. Because it's almost become like a cliche, hasn't it? Almost a parody of itself. Something happens and another thing happens. We say, well, that was a coincidence. No, I think it was a God incident. And I think we're in danger of robbing it of its power. These God-ordained incidents. I need to say that over the past 30 plus years as I've been a Christian, and indeed especially over the last 12 to 18 months, I can say this, the more I have stepped out in faith and the more in step I have been with the Holy Spirit, the more coincidences I see. The more in step with the Spirit I am, the more I see, the more I recognize these random coincidences. And because of that, they are Something like faith boosters. See these things, they just give you a boost to your faith. A little bit extra. So I want to tell you just a couple of stories. About that. Is that okay? Don't worry, you don't need to boo, hiss, ah, and cheer, okay? Is that all right? Well, it's going to happen anyway because it's in my script. <laughs> About a couple of years ago, um, Mick and Annie and their house group did a really great act. They did a, a pay it forward act. 
where they, um, where they went to um, Nick's usual haunt, being loved, and uh, they went and they, they paid a amount of money behind the till uh, so that they could give away free coffees to people. And they did this. And uh, we got a message on our church Facebook page from a, a young lady who wanted to thank us because she had had a most horrid, horrid time. And she just wanted to have a little bit of a break, so she went for a coffee. And she turned up and she didn't have any money in her purse, or not enough. And so the person behind the cash desk said, listen, this, is, this coffee's been paid for by the church for you. So she wrote to us to say thank you. That was amazing, wasn't it? A little while later, we've decided, let's go and try it. Let's go and give some cakes out in the streets. Uh, that was, this is two years ago, January two years ago. We packed the cakes, we went out, and we went and gave cakes to people in the street. And people were lovely and appreciative. Um, again, Mick and Annie, well, I think it was Mick and Annie, or it was just yourself, Mick, went into Craven Court, even though you weren't supposed to, but you went in anyway. They went in, and they were giving away these cakes to people. And they gave a cake to this man, this woman, and they gave a cake to this young woman. She said, that's amazing. Do you know what? A little while ago, I was in Bean Loved Coffee Shop, and I had no money. And I was really desperate. And the church paid for a coffee. Same woman was given cake by Mick and Annie, who had put money behind Bean Loved to pay for her coffee without them knowing about it. That's not bad, is it? Let's have another one. Stones. Not the rolling ones. During the outreaches at Do You Know Him, this is one of the activities we did, which was we wrote words of encouragement and blessing on the underside of some stones. We put them on a table in the street, and we invited people to come and choose a stone that were turned upside down. So it was blank. So people would just pick up a random stone. We had so many people pick up a stone and go, that's exactly what I need to hear right now. It wasn't like so specific that it says, you have got black hair and you've got blue eyes. and you. It wasn't like that. But these are the story a number of times. There were a couple of, uh, particularly a couple of women I remember, who had just started either the first or a new set of chemotherapy. They picked up a stone and it screamed to them, stay strong, keep going, God is with you. There were many tears shed on that day. As people said, can I take this? Can I take a few? I'm going to keep it like forever. That's not bad, is it? But it's just a coincidence. And then most recently, the story of a person who came to Alpha. Um, and uh, it's fair to say uh, she hasn't had the best of, of times of late. She's been really down. She's had some struggles. And uh, we were doing the Alpha about, I think it was about healing. And we were challenged about words of knowledge. So I was just preparing, and I got an overwhelming sense of kintsugi. Now, if you don't know what kintsugi is, you need to know. It's this Japanese art of whenever a, a bowl or a ceramic is broken, it's put back together again, but you don't pretend it never broke. You actually highlight the scars by, on the bricks by filling it in with gold. And so what was a broken bowl, what was damaged and marred, is now a work of beauty. So I took this very picture and I put it on the screen um, and I was planning on putting it out for someone but there was this one lady who annoyingly wasn't there that night. We just felt she needed to be there. So not what we normally do. Um, I'm going to embarrass Sarah. Sarah, are you embarrassed yet? You will be. So Sarah um, texted her and said, listen, would you, 
uh, are you around? No answer. I think she texted again, still no answer. She phoned her. Normally, we're not that chasey after people, okay? Sarah went and picked this lady up and brought her to Alpha. And this picture came up on the screen, and we just felt this was particularly for her. So at the end, she was being prayed for. I went up to her and said, I know, I think this is for you. And she went, I was scared you were going to come over and tell me that. I just knew you would. And it was lovely. It was prayed for. So she was really touched and blessed. That was brilliant, wasn't it? Next day, she gets a phone message from one of her friends who lives in the South Coast. She is a Christian. And uh, the message says, can you please give me a call back because I need to tell you something. So this girl, this woman phones her friend back and her friend says, I was just... Can you hear me? Oh, thank you. Right. So, she phones her friend. Are you still with me? And her friend says, I was just checking on the internet, looking through it, and I came across a picture of a Japanese bowl that was broken and put together with gold, and I felt really strongly that this was for you. But I haven't been able to get in touch with you from yesterday, and uh, I think it's for you. Coincidence? This same woman, about, I don't know how many years ago, her counselor had told her, not with the same bulb, had said, your life may be broken, but it will be put back together again, and it will be beautiful for others. But it's just a coincidence. Or it would almost make you believe in God, eh? It's one of my favorite phrases I use to people, especially who are not Christians, and they say, oh, a bit of a coincidence. I go, yeah. Almost make you believe in God. I also use it to Christians who need to kick up the backside. Because God is at work and is moving in the everyday miraculous. We just call them coincidences. God is at work. I don't understand how this all works. Why some coincidences happen and some don't. It is a mystery of God. But I tell you, the more I and I know other people have stepped out and, and we've seen God move in these kind of strange, coincidental ways, the everyday miraculous. But of course, this depends on your starting point, the lens of which you look through, whether you say, oh, it is just random. Even sat here today, there may be some people who are going, yeah, I'm a Christian, but actually, that's just a bit weird. It's just random, and they are forcing in the story. Or it could be that people believe in faith. Oh, it was all meant to be the powers that be, let's go and hug a tree kind of thing. Or it's a faith builder. That God is working even today. God is less involved in our plans. And more than we realize, we are caught up in his. Because God's will, will. Even inside of God's will, we can go all over the place. We can sometimes even go backwards against God's will. But overall, God's will, will. And so we come to Mordecai. And Esther. Because these are heroes of faith. Actually, they're not very good Jews. They stayed behind when the rest of the Jews went back to Jerusalem. They probably had lifestyles well integrated with Persian culture. Esther wasn't her name. Hadassah was her name. But Esther is her Persian name. Which has come from Ishtar. One of the pagan gods. One of goddesses. They were not ideal Jews. She was involved in an intermixed uh, marriage with the king. 
She had her Judaism hidden away. So she didn't go to synagogue, quite obviously. So it would have stuck out like a sore thumb if she didn't go sacrificing to the pagans. So she was well integrated. Is she an ideal Jew? No, but God still used them. She was in the right place at the right time, but how? Well, it was a series of events, yes, coincidences, but opportunities arose that they took. She was part of the Persians Got Talent. She rises to prominence. She comes to be a non-Jewish secular position. Why? Because of her looks and her personality. When Lisa, the Lord bless her, last week was talking about all this, I could feel my own feminist hackles rising. We're talking about beauty contests and stuff. But she had the looks and she had the persona which endeared her to someone who helped her along the way. But regardless of what you feel about that. Not unlike Joseph and Daniel who were fair of form as well. And who rose to become prominent people. Nehemiah also. They rose to become government ministers, civil servants, advisors. And she trumps them all and becomes queen. And whilst they all came to their positions for a variety of different reasons, like wisdom, discernment, beauty, and character, they were in their positions for a purpose, and a purpose that initially they had no idea about. Esther was in the year of Xerxes' reign. These events of, of the Jews being uh, condemned doesn't happen until the 12th year. Esther is queen for five years in the royal palace, going through all the systems and protocols and knowing how it works. Five years, unaware that she is there, almost like a secret agent, waiting for the time to be right. We need people, Christian, godly people, places of significance. We need to be praying for the Christians who are already in these places and for more Christians to come to them in the areas of sport, in the areas of media, in the area of politics, of the arts, in business, in education in security, in finance, in culture. These are all positions of influence. And we should be praying, whether you believe in the Christians in the left or the conservative Christian party, regardless, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are in positions of influence for the kingdom of God. Because they may be in a position for such a time as this. And aren't we in a bit of a mess? We could do with some godly people in there, couldn't we? She was in the right place at the right time, but she just didn't know it. And I want to ask you a question, two questions here. First of all, where are you? I am talking geographically. You could say I'm sitting in a chair in Skipton Baptist Church, but where are you? Why are you in Skipton? Why are you here? Was it accident or was it by uh, design? I'm still cracking up. Where are you occupationally? Socially, spiritually, relationally? Why are you there? By accident, achievement, ambition, or apathy? Who knows? But that you have come to this position at such a time as this. Who knows that you've come into this teaching role, this medical role, this business role, this family role, this group of friendships, this church, At this time, for a particular reason. Who knows? I'll tell you, God knows that you are here for a reason. You're in your situation for a reason. It's time we ask God what that reason was. That friendship with the person 
And you're the only one that gets how they feel because you've been through it. That role in church that only needs you. It's a U-shaped hole. That situation at work that desperately needs you to be a kingdom of God agent. You see, in the story of Esther and Mordecai, through good and bad events, accidental meetings, fortuitous successes, the poor, the mixed motives, the personal hopes, the work and ambition, God used all of those situations to have the right person, Esther, in the right place as Queen of Persia at the right time when the Jews were under threat. She'd been there five years already. When the moment of truth came, she was there. But when the moment of truth came, Esther had choice. Mordecai was desperate. Israel, the Jews, are threatened by extermination. Not the first time, and certainly not the last time. We know the horrors of it, even just last century. Only Esther could seemingly help. And Mordecai's pretty convincing, you know. He's a good salesman, isn't he? And she has three responses. The first response is this. Pretend there's no problem. Mordecai's upset. Quick, send him some nice clothes. That'll cheer him up. Won't it? Let's go shopping. (laughs) No, it doesn't cheer him up. Then she finds out what the problem is and the part that she can play. And her response is, I'm sorry. It's just too risky. It's too dangerous. And if you're not aware of how dangerous it is, she, she highlights it. Without being summoned by the king, you face a death sentence. This was what Xerxes was like. The historian Herodotus describes Xerxes as cruel, fickle, and sensuous. Those are descriptions that kind of pick up what we see in Esther. That he's sensuous, he likes the ladies, he likes to look at pretty girls. That's what he was like as a person. He was fickle, he changed his mind, he was unpredictable, he did that. And man, was he cruel. When it says about people who put on gallows, it wasn't just any gallows. It was pretty gross what they did. He was a cruel man. And so this was risky to Esther. She's got a line. She questions the queen's edict. And admits to be different to being a Jew. It is dangerous. At most, she could lose her life. At least, she would lose comfort and her privilege. And isn't that a really normal response? How often, whenever you've sat here and you've been challenged by the Lord to be more open about your faith, to speak about your faith to people, to invite someone to Alpha or to church, and you've just gone, it's too risky because they'll think I'm stupid, they'll think I'm funny, they'll think I'm a fundamentalist. No, 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 it's too risky. We relate to it. Why not invite our colleague to church? Why don't you talk to someone about your faith, offer to pray, admit to being a Christian, or even go on a do you know him outreach? It feels risky, almost as risky as some of those brothers and sisters in Iran and those brothers and sisters in North Korea. Sometimes it's right to be quiet. It's wisdom to be quiet. But sometimes a moment comes and you have to choose. So she says, I will. And how she responded is that she remembered who she was. She remembered she was a Jew. She remembered she was a part of God's plan She was part of God's people, who she was. She recognized that she had a part to play. And you might be sitting here going, yeah, I'm part of God's people, but I haven't got a part to play. Nonsense. 
We are the body of Christ and each part is useful. God wants to use you. It's whether you want to be used. She recognized that she was a, had a part to play in it. And she realized this was a spiritual endeavor, not a political one. She tells Mordecai, get everyone together and fast. By extension, we presume that means fast and pray. So you're going to invite one of your friends to, a, to a, a, an evening here or to the community cafe or something. You ask people, will you pray for me as I do this? Because these are spiritual enterprises, not social or political ones. And then she resigned herself to God's hands. And it was not a fatalistic, if I die, I die. It wasn't like that. It was more like Shadrach, Meshach, and a bungalow when they said, do what you want. God, help us. And if we die, it's your will be done. She resigned herself to God's will. He was in charge. And then finally, she did risk. She didn't just have mental assent to it. She did it. She stood in the court, really subtly in full queen regalia. It wasn't like she was hiding behind a, a pillar going, is he, is he there yet? She stood there, bold as brass. Look at me. Esther's choice required something which I believe is a word that God has given us that we need to take. And I've, um, I want to share what we need is courage. In preparing this, kind of, this word kept on haunting me from nowhere. And so I really feel, I started writing something down, and this is what I feel God wants to say to us. So it says this, I believe this, I believe this is a key word from the Lord for us all. BC and in the church in Skipton. It's an important word over the last year and even more important in 2019 and beyond. Perhaps the word courage, the need for it, brings to mind ideas of struggle, of tough and difficult times. And indeed, yes, there may be some of these ahead. But actually, this word is more about courage in the sense of boldness. As I draw to a close, I want to tell you a story. Of a little bit of a story about behind the scenes of Do You Know Him? 2017. So the story goes like this. We decided that we'd have a go at this thing called Do You Know Him? And we did it uh, for 10 weeks with uh, ourselves and Champions Church, and it was lovely. We had this bit of a wacky idea. Wouldn't it be great to ask other churches to be involved? And we kind of buried that. And if I'm really honest, I buried it because I was scared. I put it off because I was scared. What if they said no? What if they said yes? Who am I to do this anyway? What right have I to do this? I don't even wear a dog collar. Although I'm thinking about it. No, no I'm not. <laughs> and Lisa, now because she's uh, you know, Spring Harvest famous, um, they were having a meeting in Harrogate and she invited um, one of the guys, Chris Rogers, to come and lead us in a team day. And so it was great. It was a really insightful, well-led day. And then he got us to stand in a circle and he was going to pray for us. And I thought, this is nice. This is standard. This is good. We didn't have to hold hands. It was lovely. And then he started going round each one of us, one by one, and giving us a word from the Lord. I started to sweat a little. He came to me. Now, as far as I was aware, he didn't know a great deal about Do You Know Him, apart from just what we chatted about. He certainly didn't know how I was really feeling about the next stage of Do You Know Him and the ideas that we'd had. He lays his 
comes on me and he starts praying. And he stops. Amongst other things, he says to me, Phil, I believe God wants you to be bold. I fell to my knees. I cried out to God, yes, Lord, use me. You know I'm lying. (laughs) My honest response was, rubbish. Oh, no, that's not what I wanted to hear. I knew it was, it was God giving you that big nudge in the ribs you can't avoid. I needed to hear it. And God kind of filled the blanks for me. We had a meeting with the ministers where I was really nervous. The guys will bear me out. I was tripping over my words. You know, there were people there with you know, dog collars and stuff. And I was really scared. And 100% of the ministers, which in this town, said yes. From diverse theological and traditional backings, they said, yes, let's do this. They said, yes. We had a meeting of interested parties. We explained the vision and people got enthusiastic. And I went, And then on the 7th of January, we had an evangelism training day. The worst day of the year. The first Sunday of the year. Cold. And we invited Chris to come. Chris Duffett. And we put out 14 chairs. And they had to seat 70 plus people. No! This has been a common experience over the last year. Not just with Do You Know Him, TAP, with Food Bank, with Alpha, especially with the outreaches. People, for the first time, coming along to do an outreach with a look of sheer terror on their face. And they come back in beaming. Because, to quote the Northumbria, they came home rejoicing at the wonders he had shown them. Every person who's done it. What I saw last year, some great things happened last year. What I saw overall is a number of people across the churches, including this one, be a little bit more brave, a little bit more courageous, a little bit more bold. Just a little. They risked, they had to go. And do you want to know the difference that that little risk, that little bravery, that little boldness did? This is the result, and I quote something that Mick has written a few times. There are people alive today who would not have been alive were it not for the church being a little bit more bold in telling them that Jesus loved them. That's a fact. There are people who were living, existing, who are now living. This is their quotes. I used to exist I now have a life, a sense of hope and a sense of family. People have been reminded of God's love for them. Hundreds of leaflets, gifts and engagements with people who will never meet again possibly have been told that they are loved by Jesus and they have gone with a gospel seed and a gospel stone in their shoe. And there have been people who have come to know Jesus last year. Okay, it wasn't the 3,000 that someone said yesterday. On the, on the New Year's Day, when we said, how many people became Christians? 3,000. No, it was only 10 or so. But let me tell you, that's about a thousand percent increase on previous years. More than 10 people became Christians last year. Many more have had their lives transformed. Why? Because some people here and in the church in Skipton were a little bit brave, a little bit bold, a little bit courageous. My friends, this is the word I think for us. It is time to be bold. It is time to be bold. Esther had her time. This is our time. Lisa said, we chose Esther as a random book. We did. 
I think God had other ideas because this word is coming to us to be courageous and to be bold, to remember who we are, not just a teacher, a doctor, a programmer, a friend, a drinking partner, a coffee drinking partner. We are the people of God and the agents of Jesus. Stop it. We have to recognize that we have a God-ordained and a God-guided part to play in this world. To realize that this is spiritual. To resign to God's will and to risk to obey. And then I believe we can truly say it's not a coincidence that we do need courage. And we can truly say this statement about ourselves. That who knows, but that we have come to this position for such a time as this. I believe that this is a time, people have prophesied about this, this is a time that God is on the move. And he is challenging every single one of us in this church, in the church in Skipton. It is time to be bold. Amen? Amen. Thank you.